0: Chapter four of mister Inkle's Misadventure This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. mister Inkle's Misadventure by Edgar Saltis. Chapter four An Evening Call. When Lee entered the drawing-room, he found Miss Barhyte already there. It is good of you to come, she said, by way of greeting. The young man advanced to where she stood, and in a tender, proprietary manner, took her hand in his. He would have kissed her, but she turned her face aside. What is it? he asked. You are as pale as Ophelia, and you, my prince, as inquisitive as Hamlet. She led him to a seat and found one for herself. Her eyes rested in his own, and for a moment both were silent. Lennox, she asked at last. Do you know Mr. Inkul? Yes, of course, everyone does. I mean, do you know him well? I never said ten words to him, nor he to me. So much the better. What do you suppose he did the other evening, after you went away? Really, I have no idea. But if you wish me to draw on my imagination, I suppose he went away too. He offered himself. For what? To me. Maida, that mummy, you are joking. No, I am not joking. Nor was he. Well, what then? Then, as you say, he went away. And what did you do? I went away too. Be serious. Tell me about it. He came here this afternoon, and I, well, I am to be Mrs. Incool. Lennox bit his lip. Into his face there came an expression of angered resentment. He stood up from his seat. The girl put out her hand as though to stay him. Lennox, I had to, she cried. But he paid no attention to her words. And crossed the room on the mantel before him was a clock that ticked with a low dolent moan and for some time he stood looking at it as were it an object of peculiar interest which he had never before enjoyed the leisure to examine but the clock might have swooned from internal pain he neither saw nor heard it His thoughts circled through episodes of the winter back to the forest and the fringes of the summer sea. And slowly, the anger gave way to wonder, and presently, the wonder faded, and in its place there came a sentiment, like that of sorrow. A doubled sorrow, in whose component parts there was both pity and distress. It is said that the rich are without appreciation of their wealth until it is lost or endangered. And it was not until that evening that Lennox Lee appreciated at its worth the loveliness that was slipping from him. He knew then that he might tread the highroads and faubourgs of two worlds with the insistence of the wandering Jew, and yet find no one so delicious as she. In the first flood of his anger, he felt as were he being robbed, as though the one thing that had lifted him out of the brutal commonplaces of the everyday was being caught up and carried beyond the limits of vision. And into this resentment there came the suspicion that he was not alone being robbed, that he was being cheated to boot, that the love which he had thought to receive as he had seemed to give love before was an illusory representation, a phantom constructed of phrases. But this suspicion faded. He knew untold that the girl's whole heart was his, had been his, was yet his, and probably would be his for all of time, till the grave opened and closed again. And then the wonder came. He knew, none better, the purity of her heart, and knowing, too, her gentleness, the sweetness of her nature, her abnegation of self, he began to understand that some tragedy had been enacted which he had not been called upon to witness. Of her circumstances he had been necessarily informed. But in the sensitiveness of her refinement, the girl had shrunk from unveiling to a lover's eyes the increasing miseries of her position and the poignancy of those miseries he had now, uninformed, uninkling. If she sold herself, surely it was because the sale was imperative. The white, impassable face of the girl's mother rose before him, and then, at once, he understood her cry. Lennox, I had to, As he moved from her, Maida had seen the anger, and knowing the anger to be as just as justice ever is, she shook her head in helpless grief, yet her eyes were tearless as she had no tears left to shed. She had seen the anger, but ignorant of the faces of thought by which it had been transfigured, she stole up to where he stood and touched his arm with a shrinking caress. He turned, and would have caught her to him. But she drew back, elusively, as might a swan. No, not that, Lennox. Only say that you do not hate me. Lennox, if you only knew. To me, it is bitterer than death. You are the whole world to me. Yet never must I see you again. If I could but tell you all. If I could but tell him all. If there were anything that I could do or say. But there is nothing, nothing, she added pensively, except submission. Her voice had sunk into a whisper. She was pleading as much with herself as with him. Her arms were pendant and her eyes downcast. On the mantel, the clock kept up its low, dolorous moan, as though in sympathy with her woe. Nothing, she repeated. But surely it need not be. Things cannot be so bad as that. Maida. I cannot lose you. If nothing else can be done, let us go away. At its best, New York is tiresome. We could both leave it without a regret or a wish to return and then there is Italy we have but to choose why I could take a palace on the Grand Canal for less than I pay for my rooms at the Cumberland and you would love Venice and in winter there is Capri and Sorrento and Palermo I have known days in Palermo when I seem to be living in a haze of turquoise and gold and the nights you should see the nights The stars are large as lilies. See, it would be so easy. In a fortnight, we could be in Genoa. And before we got there, we would have been forgotten. He was bending forward, speaking rapidly, persuasively, half hoping, half fearing, she would accept. She did not interrupt him, and he continued impetuously as though intoxicated on his own words. When we are tired of the south, there are the lakes in the lovely Tyrol. There will be so much to do, so much to see. After New York, we shall really seem to live. And then, beyond is Munich. You are sure to love that city. He hated Munich. He hated Germany. The entire land, and everything that was in it, was odious to him. But for the moment he forgot. He would have said more, even to praises of Berlin. But the girl raised her ringless hand and shook her head wearily. No Lennox, it may not be. Did I go with you in a year, six months perhaps? We would both regret would be not only expatriation, it would, for me at least, be isolation as well, and though I would bear willingly with both, you would not. You think so now, perhaps, I do not doubt. And a phantom of a smile crossed her face. And I thank you for so thinking, but it may not be. Her hand fell to her side. She turned listlessly away. You must forget me, Lennox. But not too soon, will you? Never, sweetheart, never! Ah, but you must. And I must learn to forget you. It will be difficult. No one can be to me what you have been. You have been my youth, Lennox. My girlhood has been yours. I have nothing left. Nothing except regrets. Regrets that youth should pass so quickly and that girlhood comes but once. Her lips were tremulous. But she was trying to be brave. But surely, Myla, it cannot be that we are to part forever. Afterwards, the word was vague but they both understood. Afterwards, I may see you. Such things often are. Because you feel yourself compelled to this step, there is no reason why I, of all others, should be shut out of your life. It is the fact of your being the one of all others that makes the shutting needful. It shall not be. Lennox, she pleaded, It is harder for me than for you. But how can you ask me? How can you think that I will give you up? The affair is wretched enough as it is, and now, by insisting that I am not to see you again, you would make it even worse. People think it easy to love, but it is not. I know nothing more difficult. You are the only one for whom I have ever cared. It was not difficult to do so I admit but the fact remains I have loved you I have loved you more and more every day and now when I love you most when I love you as I can never love again you find it the easiest matter in the world to come to me and say it's ended Bonjour you are cruel Lennox you are cruel it is you that are cruel And there the wonder is, for your cruelty is unconscious. Of your free will you would not know how. It is not that I am cruel. It is that I am trying to do right. And it is for you to aid me. I have been true to you. Do not ask me now to be false to myself. If at that moment Mrs. Bunker Hill could have looked into the girl's face... Her suspicions would have vanished into air. Maida needed only a less fashionable gown to look like a medieval saint. And before the honesty that was in her eyes, Lennox bowed his head. Will you help me? I will, he answered. I knew you would. You are too good to try to make me more miserable than I am. And now you must go. Kiss me. It is the last time. He caught her in his arms and kissed her full upon the mouth. He kissed her wet eyes, her cheeks, the splendour of her hair. And after a moment of the acutest pain of all her life, the girl freed herself from his embrace and let him go without another word. End of chapter 4